active. What's up, everybody? Um, welcome back to the Slightly Educated Podcast with your hosts, Josh and Rashid Deontay. I'm not too sure which name I'm going to go by on the podcast yet. Um, <laughs> what you call it? As you may notice, I have no facial hair, you feel me? Barbershops are up. I think we're in phase two. Or whatever phase the barbershops open up. So, you know what I mean? Uh, so, I'm happy for that. Um, but today, we got a real special guest. Um, Josh's homie from a long, long time. You feel me? I'll let Josh take it away. Man, bro, like, we've been hyped for this for a while. And I don't even know, like, if we, like we can say all the accomplishments that she has. But I'm going to say just a couple so y'all know. Um, top 10 pick in WNBA draft. Yes, sir. Academic All-American. Gatorade Player of the Year in high school. Um, from New Jersey. Let's not forget that. East Stars, New Jersey. <laughs> um, and really one of my, like, like good friends, um, Jocelyn Willoughby. Um, so yeah, let's get her on. Like she, she could say everything else because you can't read all, everything on this list. So she is the epitome of black excellence, ladies and gentlemen, and anybody, anybody watching this, uh, you want to tell her to hop in? She not. Yeah, yeah, she got to get in the way. But anyway, you know, I hope everybody has a has had a good week. Um, I know it's still tough times for a lot of us. Uh. You know what I mean? We can edit this out. It was fun. Yeah, I hope y'all all all had haircuts. (laughs) Or like y'all been able to go to the salon, whatever it may be. But back to more serious business. Josh is about to come in. Hello, Jocelyn. Hello. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) How are you guys? Very good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, yeah. Um, so seeing you wearing the UVA attire there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So um, I guess even to just like, jump into things, like I guess tell the people a little bit, like you know, just about like you know where you're from, like your background. We we gave you you know you know accolades, but you had like a whole page of things. But tell them like where you came from, a little bit about your family, so they have a sense of like you know. Yeah. We didn't have enough time to read your whole biography. It's it's quite <laughs> extensive. You are quite accomplished. <laughs> no, um, so I'm from East Orange, New Jersey. Like, grown up in New Jersey. Um, the only time I've left is to go to school. Um, went to Virginia. Well, clearly, you know, I'm repping a little bit. But um, yeah, I, I think born and raised in New Jersey, and so my family's been rooted here for a very long time as well. Um, have an older brother. Uh, and so he's kind of been somebody who's like pushed me and inspired me to kind of set me on my journey, both academically and athletically. Um, but we're, you know, small, tight knit family and um, good roots in New Jersey. That's dope. So do you, uh, um, I guess, are you like, where's your family from? Or like, are you, yeah, I, was, I don't know, that kind of came out weird. My skin, anyway. Yeah, we're um, you're talking about like if if I know like our roots, roots. Like, yeah, yeah. So I actually don't know. Um, I know that on my mom's side, I think we've had some family in the North Carolina area, but like where they came before that, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my dad's side I have some family in the Virginia area, um, but don't know like 
can't trace our ancestors. Um, I got you. Yeah. So, I mean, in New Jersey, and to me, like, you're, like, a basketball, like, goddess. Like, you're – and also, like, you're just, like, an amazing, like, scholar as well. So you said, like, your brother was, like, part of your inspiration. But, like, what was that, like, first time for you when you're, like, yo, I want to, like, actually, like, play basketball? Or was basketball even, like, the first sport you were even, like, thinking about, like, doing? No. So I, I never – I don't think I ever realized, like, once I started playing basketball, like, this is going to be my lifelong sport. Um, I think my parents did a really, really great job of just trying to expose my brother and I to different things growing up. So, literally, we go to YMCA, and there was a time where I did, like, hip-hop dancing. There was a time where we did swimming. Um, obviously, did basketball clinics there. There was a time we did karate. So, you know, all these different things. So, parents were just constantly trying to get us involved in um, I definitely did track for a few years and I was pretty good at that. Took piano lessons. Um, so, you know, just, just trying to expose us to things. And I guess eventually it's like, well, hopefully you'll pick one thing up where that kind of becomes more of your passion than the other things. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think I started basketball thinking I'd be playing now like 12, 13 years. Um, and, and more, hopefully we'll see, <laughs> but you know, it just kind of um, turned out to be that way. Uh, why did you end up sticking with basketball uh, all those years prior? So I was pretty good at track. That I think would have been my other sport, um, mm. but I just didn't like track is a grueling, grueling sport. <laughs> you know, like it's one of those things where you could be good at it, but you have to really, really love it to continue mm. with it. Um, and it's also an individual sport. And I don't think I, at that age, did well with the pressure that came with like okay you're at the top of your um like class or age bracket mm. and every race like people are gunning for you mm. um and so dealing with that pressure at a young age I don't think I took it too well um and I just enjoyed the team atmosphere and team sport more um I think that's that's one thing where it's like you meet so many incredible people who push you but who make you want to continue and love the game even more. Um, mm. And I think that's that's more of why I stuck with basketball than track. What events did you do in track? So I was a sprinter, uh, 100, 200, 400. Um, yeah, and then relays, so. Yeah, so Rashida did track at SWAT and I had my what little stint in, in high school, um, so. <laughs> what events did you do? I did the one and the two. Um, Track, I hate. I actually like super. I actually really, really hate track. <laughs> um, I really do. I like. Um. So, by like the way I grew up, I'm a soccer player, so that's what I played. Okay. Um. But what you call it? And then I did track in college because like the whole, different story for another time. But I came for soccer, ended up doing track, and I think my dad like summed it up best, and he was just like everything because he was a really good track runner. Yeah. He was like. He was like. Everything about track sucks, except when you win. <laughs> Everything about this shit is, is no fun. Going to practice is no fun. Prepping for the race is no fun. But once you cross that line, and as long as you cross it before every other individual, you are having a great time. That's and true. Hate track. Yeah, no, I never thought about it that way. But the hot summers, the long days, the long meets, Ooh. like, it's a lot to it. Just to, yeah. and like the worst part is like you've trained so much or so hard and you're only running for a few seconds and you're like, what? 
like I was training just for like a 10 second race, a 12 second race. Like, yeah. yeah. But I, I yeah. do think like now that I've been further removed from the sport, looking back, I think there's something about track that like for your mentality to be able to push through things, to push your limits. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, you know, there's, there's debates over like what the worst race is or the hardest race is. Mm-hmm. I was a 400 runner and that's not an easy race. That's brutal. Right. And that's so, <laughs> you know, you get to that last hundred mark and you're like, I don't know if I'll make it. I feel myself cramping, like praying to, to make it to the finish line. And I think um, even as it translates to basketball or anything in life, like when you have experiences that you can, that really push you yeah. um, and force you to like double down mentally, I think you, it translates to other areas of your life. So I think I've just been more resilient um, as a result of running track and like in basketball, I've been described to have a high motor. And I think that's wow. definitely from like all the years of training in track. I, I can see that. It definitely, it definitely, there's very few, if you, after you assume that you're doing like 400, so you probably like run like 800s, 200s in practice. Mm-hmm. If you could do that shit, like ain't really nothing like a, like a conditioning coach can really tell you. It's going to be like, Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm like, I'm curious, like what were, so you did track when you were younger. So mm-hmm. what was like your early experience on like, like basketball teams? Was it like you kind of came in and you were just like, cool, cool. Or was it like <laughs> oh, that, that learning process of, you know, what, what um, yeah. I think, um, well, okay. I started playing when I was in like second grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and initially, like I didn't start playing organized basketball. It was literally just like me going to the gym with my brother and my father and um just open gym like just getting shots up um and I was really little at that time so everybody and obviously there weren't that many other girls there at the you know yeah. at the time mm-hmm. so it was more so like everybody's like oh she's so cute and you know um but over time as I got into organized basketball like doing more like youth clinics mm-hmm. I think I was always definitely more advanced than other kids um and yeah it, it it wasn't until, you know, you get into AAU um, where you, you have other elite players where it's kind of like, okay, now it's more of a learning curve um, because my AAU coach was, like, really great in, in teaching the fundamentals of the game. Um, but prior to that, I feel like I was always one of the better players on the team. Definitely had the experience of playing on an all-boys team for a few years. Um, and I think I was still one of the better players on those teams too, but it just, it just <laughs> came with a different um, – experience you know having to prove myself more or um deal with guys and deal with people in general so mm-hmm. i think so something that i think really is really cool is that like yeah like high athletic achievement in addition to your high academic achievement so mm-hmm. I, i'm curious like how you how did you because i i grew up with a lot of people who were just like either we doing like sports over here or we doing books over here and you never really see a lot of people who's just like, yeah, we on, we just, we just rock on both. I didn't see that until like, I was like college. Yeah. And so I'm like, you know, how, how do you, were you able to balance that at such a young age? Um, you know what I mean? Like put us on. Yeah. I am very like self-motivated and driven. And I, I personally believe like how you are in one area of your life is more than likely how you are in all areas. Um, and so kind of like the 
mentality I have on the court is the same in ways, the same I have in the classroom, like just being incredibly hardworking, incredibly driven, like to want to do better, to want to learn more and improve. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of like my mentality behind it. Um, but it's hard, you know, there, there's times where it's just like, man, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I taking all these classes? And I, I do think a part of it is like, there's a gendered aspect to it, right? Girls aren't always taught like, oh, you're going to be a, a professional athlete. You're going to go and make a living off of this and make money. Um, for us, it's kind of like, no, you need your education. You need something to fall back on to because you can enjoy your sport. You can love it. And there are people and more and more women who are making a living off of it with endorsements and um, professional careers. But at the end of the day, that's going to be short-lived. Um, we're not making as much money as the men. So for me, having that perspective and having parents and people around me to push me in both ends um, is kind of like what allowed me to balance it. Um, and just having a, a support system, really, that was like, okay, yeah. you got this. You know, it might be hard, but it always works out in the end. Yeah. So I want to like jump to like the high school years. Good old Nerd okay. Academy. Um, so I guess like, obviously, like, you know, obviously New Academy, um, rigorous academics, obviously yeah. you were still killing sports, but talk about like your experiences as a black woman kind of navigating that space of a <laughs> predominantly like white, like school. And also I think maybe you see like the black at NA things that are going on, on Instagram currently and those things going on about students talking about their experiences, um, like with faculty and other students. So just like talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, Newark Academy was a very interesting transition for me, I think, especially my first year. Um, yeah, as I said, I'm from East Orange, so kindergarten through fifth grade, I went to all-black public school here, not too far from me. Um, middle school, I went to a private school, but it was still all-black inner city. Um, and then high school, transitioned to Newark Academy, which is a PWI. So needless to say, <laughs> like, you know, my first... I think the first week I was just talking to my parents about this, like it was a struggle. <laughs> it was just so, um, not that I hadn't been exposed to around white people before, because, you know, I think sports allows for people to come together. Not that you're necessarily having all the intense conversations about race and so on and so forth, but at least gives you some exposure to people of different backgrounds. Um, so, you know, it's not like, oh, I don't know what white people are or how they are, but to actually be in a situation where you're having to interact with them on a daily basis or not interact with them and sometimes feeling excluded or trying to figure out, you know, what's what. And it, 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 there's so many like just different questions. And I think that first week in particular was challenging. I remember my parents just, you know, coming home, my mom, especially when I come home, she's like, how is school? Like, is everything okay? And that first week was just frustrating because there's so many like nuances, I think, to being black in a, in a predominantly white space mm -hmm. and just trying to figure out how to navigate, um, how to not compromise who you are. Because at that time, and I still wear, wear my hair braided or in cornrows, but like that's something that people don't normally see. So they're just kind of like, why do you wear your hair like that? Or like all these questions and you're like, I don't you know, like, yeah. this is me, this is who I am. And so um, there's a lot of, I think, questioning of myself, of the space that I was inhabiting. But I think the mentality that I kind of took is 
to own my space, to not really question, you know, who I am or my value and worth in that space, but also to try and build community. And that was one thing I, I took a lot of pride in, um, you know, in our emotion meetings or different um, presentations and events that we would have is like try and educate the others. Um, I mean, not be as familiar with our culture, with our experience, um, so to help make it better for the up and coming generations. And by the Black at NA page, I don't know how much better it is. I'd like <laughs> to think that we left it, you know, better than we received it. But mm-hmm. I don't know. There's there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, I think uh, the question I want to ask is then is like. I feel that especially at like such a young age and you mm-hmm. have to make make that switch and you said like you know you came to the conclusion that you don't want to give up who you are and I'm like I like a very young age like how did you how did you like maintain like you know how did you maintain like your true self and because I feel like I see people come to college and way more you know older than you were when you first got to New York Academy and they get washed away by like all the new shit that they see so yeah. I'm like, I, I'm like I, as like a ninth grader I, I'm not too sure what school well yeah y'all start y'all started school in New York Academy but as a ninth grader like how did you manage that I feel like I'm missing like a lot of pressure and like a lot of introspection necessary for that how do you do it yeah I, well I think the, the first thing is just having parents who keep you grounded right like mm. um my parents aren't afraid to say like this is who you are and I I remember like Josh, you know me. I'm pretty. I'm pretty authentic. I think. I yeah. think I'm pretty um, confident 100%. in myself. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think confident in myself. And I think a lot of people, you know, when you're in a situation where you're still trying to figure out who you are, what you stand for, that's when you can kind of become brainwashed, as you said, to a certain degree, or just just flow to the masses. And I think coming into Newark Academy, yeah, I still was developing an identity or refining that. But at the end of the day, I was comfortable and confident in who I was. And I had parents and just a support network to pour into me and be like, no, you are good enough. Um, you know, especially I think the black faculty and other faculty members, but especially the black faculty at North Academy to just kind of be like, you know, you're doing well. It'll be OK. Like, we're here to support you. And then also classmates like we held each other down and kind of tried to, to reassure each other in moments where it was um, un- unsure. But yeah, I think it started with my, my home background and just like family pouring into me and saying like, this is who you are. This is where you come from. Don't forget that. Yeah. And so I have a question sort of about like support system and just like the people you sort of kind of allow to come into like your kind of gravity, or like your like orbit. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause obviously throughout like New York Academy, it was amazing like watching you like, first of all, just being a friend and then seeing you like kill it on the court and in academics. <laughs> okay. And then like, you know, I'm pretty sure it's like all that success, Gateway Player of the Year, like all state, like I'm pretty sure there were people coming in like, hey, Jocelyn, like, oh, like you remember, like, you know me and you're probably just like, you know how did you kind of like could deal with that and how did you like really decide who was like I guess good enough to be in your orbit and in your like sort of support system yeah good (laughs) (laughs) I never seen you in my life you know that that is one thing I think I've had to question is you know how different will my experience have been at Newark Academy or even Virginia or any other school if I wasn't an athlete um if I didn't have you know, the certain level of status or popularity 
that came with that in my not not even that but like the success that I had on the court you know I think there's a certain a different yeah. level of acceptance and um accessibility when you have that level or that status attached to you so that's one thing I think I've had to question on and I don't really know I hope that it still would have been a good experience um but that's not the life that I've lived so I can't say for sure um I think in terms of who I let into like my inner circle I think I I tried and be cordial and accepting of everyone but I don't know it's like who I value people who've been with me since day one, you know? I think um, it's really interesting when people come come along afterwards and it's like, well, why, you know, what's the attraction now? Mm. Um, and not, not to discount people, but, you know, I, I think that there's something to be said about people who've been with you from day one, who've seen you grow, who've been there through the struggles when things weren't always, you know, peachy and successful mm-hmm. um who've been a part of your growth and journey and so i look for people who um appreciate the highs and lows the good and bad and, and see me for who i am not just what i do all right so i have a question about day ones uh because i've heard some i've seen like uh there was this, uh this famous soccer co- soccer player called robin van Persie. Mm-hmm. And he was basically telling the story of like he had like these these people that he was with from like day one, like back in like high school, junior high, and he was just like they've been through me, been with me through everything. But he was just saying that you know at a certain point like they mindset mindsets kind of diverge, and he was like mm-hmm. I'm thinking up here, I'm thinking about moving here, and y'all still thinking about being here, mm-hmm. so I'm like. Just like statistically, I'm assuming like at least unless like you know you just roll with a whole bunch of like individuals who was always like thinking like that. <laughs> I'm like, how do you balance that? It's just like, have you had to cut off a day one, homie? Because I I just wasn't on the same page anymore, or like yeah. you always keep like you always keep keep you know keep who is always there, close you know regardless of how they move and regardless of how they thinking. Yeah, I think in the first place I'm very selective about like my friends and friend groups to begin with so I'm I'm a very nice and cordial person to everyone but not everyone's going to be allowed into my inner circle right um so I think that's the that's the very first thing like you have to be selective because not select friends nowadays it's like oh everybody's my friend and I'm like (laughs) no everybody is not your friend you know you have some people who you just know some people who are acquaintances, some people who are like friends, some people who are ride or dies, you know, like there's, there's different levels. And I think it's, for me, I'm very careful about like who I label in what area or allowed to be in certain areas. So I think that's number one, but you know, I've come to learn and realize that, you know, life is about growth. Um, and sometimes people are going in different directions and that's okay. Um, I think everyone has a purpose in your life and some people aren't meant to be lifelong friends. Some people, you know, you're only meant to be friends with for a season or, you know, there's, they're introduced into your life and there's a certain lesson or, you know, something that they're going to give you or teach you. And hopefully it's a reciprocal thing. So you're, you're giving them and teaching them something too, but people change and people grow. Um, And Maybe you'll grow together. Maybe you grow apart. 
but I think it's however it happens it's okay um and so for me I, I don't think I've ever had to literally cut someone off and be like I can't be around you I'm not your friend anymore um or you know don't hit me up don't talk to me but there are people who with time you just kind of grow apart and that doesn't mean I think less of them you know maybe I'll check in with them every now and then but we're not like this anymore we're not talking every day um and I also think that's a that's a really interesting piece about like when you transition between different stages in your life right like going from high school to college how many of those people from high school do you still keep with keep in touch with in college wow. <laughs> you said you uh, can count it on yeah. your hand, right like yeah, and the same thing happens when you're going from college to adult life and then with different phases in your adult life um and so for me i'm like i'm okay with growing apart from people because that's life at the end of the day um but I still appreciate those people, all the life and things that they've given me, and hopefully they appreciate and respect me as well. I think that's the bottom line, respect, you know? You don't have to still be best buds, but as long as you have respect for each other, like, that's the main thing. Um, So yeah, I don't know if that completely answered your question. No, it does. I was very insightful, thank you. Yeah. Um, So yeah, now, so talk about that transition then from high school to like, you know, college now, like from New Academy to UVA. And like, you know, again, Gary Player of the Year, two-time All-American, like, you know, thousand points, like sophomore year, like all that great stuff. And I guess like, just so people know, like, why was UVA like the school for you? Um, why wasn't it like UConn or Duke or anything like that? Why like UVA going into, <laughs> going into um, college? So UVA was, I felt like the best school where I could have a great academic and great athletic experience. Um, you know, I was blessed, like very blessed going through the recruitment process to be able to, in a large sense, like have my pick of school Um, and schools that were, you know, great, both athletically and academically. Um, And I think there's some institutions where, you know, they're name brand schools. So you think of UConn and you're like, oh, you know, you're going there and you're going away. Like, <laughs> period. <laughs> There's other schools that you might hear, like uh, Stanford, and it's like, that's a great degree. You know, you know, you're not going to go wrong there. Um, and there's, I think there's so many nuances in your decision. Um, I always think you don't make a decision just because of the name or the brand or whatever. Um, you make it for what's right for you. And so, what was important for me was to not be only, not only be told like oh, this is, this is the school, you know you're going to get a good degree, but like to actually be able to experience it, right? Like, I think you guys have both had experiences as student athletes where it's kind of like, oh, you are here, um, you're going to get a great degree, but it's like, can I, can I have the opportunity to meet with professors and like establish mm-hmm. those networks and channels of communication that are going to set me up for life afterwards? Um, do I have the opportunity to, to do this internship or to... Mm-hmm. Um, be a part of this organization that's doing meaningful work. And I didn't necessarily feel that I would be supported in that, in all the institutions that um, had offered me. So I think at Virginia, it was kind of like, I met a staff that was like, we want you and we are supportive of you and everything, all your goals, all your endeavors, both on and off the court. Um, and then I actually, you know, looked at the roster and saw that there were 
players doing that. You know, it's not, it's not, it's one thing to just be told because uh, schools want you and are recruiting you, but it's another thing to actually see people and a culture there that's established for you to be able to do that. Um, and then obviously the basketball side, like Virginia, especially in the nineties was the school for women's basketball. Um, it was an elite program and it had fallen off in the early 2000s. And so my goal in, in making that commitment was I want to go there and help bring it back to the level that was at um, and be competitive and be an impact player for that program. Um, and so I think that combined is ultimately why I chose Virginia over other schools. Yeah. What'd you call it? Uh, Josh told me that you did your undergrad in three years and mm -hmm. you got a master's. So, so I'm halfway through my master's. It's not complete yet. Okay. So you still going to go through even though you're a pro athlete now? I have to figure out the timing. Um, I think especially for this first year, I want to focus on basketball. Um, I've spent so much of my life, you know, balancing the two and splitting the two. And I'm at a point where it's like, one, this is a very competitive league. And to, you know, secure your roster spot and only like not only that but prove yourself for the following years you know I, I need all my attention and energy to be put into basketball um but also you know i've had a certain level of success balancing the both and now i'm questioning myself like how much better can i be when all of my attention is is channeled into basketball so i think it'll be very hard to do both at this point um so i have to figure out the timing but right now my attention is just focusing on basketball yeah. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that three years. Like, and you're like, like, obviously, like killing it at UVA on the basketball side. And I'm sure like doing other things in the community as well. Like, talk like the experience. Like, what was that like? I mean, like three years and like also doing it. And you, when you were doing your master's too, you were still playing. Like, yeah. like, so I guess take us through like the college years a little bit too. Um, yeah, it was. I don't know. So I think you mentioned like reading my bio and I think towards the end of my career, I went back and read my bio and was just like, how did I do all of this? Like, I really don't, <laughs> I don't know exactly. Um, I think so much of it, like you're living in the day to day and just doing the work and just grinding that you kind of lose sight of like what you have accomplished or honestly where you're trying to go, but you know, you're just, you're just going. Um, and so I think definitely have an opportunity to like, step back and try and figure like, okay, how did I do this? And, you know, what could I have done better? Um, and I think I, I've kind of questioned, you know, if I did it over again, would I graduate in four and slow down versus doing the three? But I think in making that decision, um, you know, I came in, from, came in from North Academy to college with, by the time I started my first year, I had about a semester worth of credits. Right. So I was like, okay, we take, we have that. We take summer classes every summer. Um, so I could put, you know, I could put together a year between that and then, you know, obviously have the, the actual school year. Um, but then thinking about it, like my first semester at UVA, I started um, in 17 credits and my last semester of undergrad, I was in 17 credits. Like, was that smart? <laughs> no, I felt like to a certain degree, I was burning the candle on both ends, but you know, you found a way to get it done. And what was important to me um, was to start on my master's and not have to pay for it. Like, 
I think it's so easy to take for granted some of the opportunities that are, are given, you know, especially when you're not coming out of your own pocket for it. But for me, I'm like, if I don't have to pay for this, why would I dilly dally through four years when I could finish in three and start, um, you know, setting myself up for a career profession in my fourth year. Um, and so it definitely wasn't easy. I think mm -hmm. there are times where I was just like, all right, I need this semester to end. Can it end just a little bit faster? Um, or, you know, when you're traveling and have a game and have to worry about an assignment due or so on and so forth, um, it was hard. But I had an incredible support network that I was very intentional about creating and crafting. And I think that's one thing that um, a lot of people don't necessarily like take advantage of or do as well. Um, but like when you have that net support network, it's almost like they're cheering for you. They're lifting you up and um, just helping you succeed. So I was very blessed and fortunate from that standpoint. What did you major in? So undergrad, I was a global studies major um, concentrating in global development. And then for grad, um, focusing on public po or leadership in public policy, but a master in public policy. So what do you want to do? So I'm still figuring out. I think clearly times tell us that there's a need for leadership and um, reform and change institutions. I think what's what I liked about what I studied undergrad and now as a graduate student is that there's so many like areas that you can go into. Um, you can work at the local level. You could uh, think this isn't necessarily in my um, future, but like be on the hill um in congress or in the white house you know and i'm like i don't know about that right now but you know there's so many there's so many avenues that you could or levels that you could work at but then also so many fields right like looking at healthcare right now that's a system that needs some attention looking at criminal justice reform like that needs some attention education so on and so forth and so i'm at a moment where i'm like i want to figure out what area i'm most passionate about um, and also question like, okay, where does the change start? Because there's so many like intertwined and interconnected systems um, and you can't tackle them all. But I do think that you can start somewhere at some level. And so it's kind of questioning like, okay, what would be the most effective way to do that? So I guess like to backtrack just a little bit, you talked about like leadership and Obviously, like when I see you, like I see a leader, someone who like brought the fire every day and was there for like her teammates and for family and friends. So I'm curious, like sort of like, you know, outside of your, your mother, um, father and brother, maybe it's them, like who were like those mentors for you, those people like maybe like through UVA who kind of kept inspiring you to like kind of keep, you know, keeping on that track that, that you were on. Um, yeah, I think uh, just so many teachers and coaches, honestly. Um, I think especially when I got to UVA, um, my first staff, the assistant coaches there, or all of the coaches really, but especially the assistant coaches, um, just seeing how they carried themselves as women of color, um, the values, I think it's especially at UVA where it's kind of like how you represent yourself, how you are day in and day out, being consistent in that, like what do you stand for, having some of those conversations and understanding their mentality and approach um, is something that I've definitely taken with me. And I think they, they poured a lot into me of just 
helping me get clarity on like, okay, you're doing a lot of things, but like, what do you really care about? What do you really want? Why are you doing this? Um, so I think having those women and several others um, in my life definitely kind of like pushed me to continue um, outside of my immediate family. So I guess to, to hop skip over um, a little bit, like the moment, you know, getting drafted, like <laughs> I'm going to be a draft. First of all, did you, when you got into, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so That's I guess crazy. when you, when you got to UVA, were you like, oh yeah, WNBA, like here I come. And then yeah. actually like being there in the moment. <laughs> and then like obviously being there on the Zoom watch party, like I was just like, I, I think I muted myself. I was like yelling. My mom was like, oh my gosh, Jocelyn. <laughs> and I called my sister. She was like, oh my gosh. And, like, and it, it was like a great like moment. It was like so happy. But yeah, talk to us a little about that, that moment. What was like going through your head? Um, oh, I, did, I did not go into UVA thinking... I'd be here now as a, you know, that wasn't my immediate vision and, and path. Um, and I think a large part of it, like a huge part of my growth in, in at UVA was in confidence, um, especially in my athletic ability. And um, so I didn't, I didn't enter being like, oh, I'm going to the WNBA, I'm going pro. <laughs> I wanted to play professionally, um, but my mindset and focus is more overseas than in the States. But over the years, you know, as I've watched other draft classes, um, you know, go through their selection, it was kind of like, okay, you know, maybe I could do this. Um, and so I think after my junior season, I watched that draft and literally the night of, I Googled um, like when the 2020 draft date was, and I put it in my calendar and I kind of just made a commitment to myself. Like, you know, I've seen the players who were drafted this year, um, I played against some of them and, you know, was able to keep up. And so just really um, developing that confidence and like, no, you can do this. Um, and so it was crazy the day of the, or the day before the draft, kind of like getting that um, banner of like tomorrow is draft day and realizing <laughs> that, um, you know, a whole year ago, I put that in my calendar and, and said to myself that I wanted to hear my name called on that day was um was kind of crazy but then to you know have all of you on zoom and um hear my name called and just to be able to to share that moment with so many people who like helped me get to the to that um point was um was really special and then to be traded that was like the oh <laughs> you got traded you're not in new york no more no so no, i got selected yeah. by phoenix um oh which would have been an incredible opportunity. Like it's a very veteran team. Um, so, you know, you have the opportunity to learn and absorb from like legends and some of the best players in the league. But then it's kind of like, wow, that's all the way across country, you know, <laughs> having to develop a whole new life. But then later in the, um, later in the evening, got traded to come to New York. So How'd you find um, out? Did you find out from the TV or did they call you up first? Yeah. So I found out first, um, through a call like my phone after I got drafted my phone like blew up and it, I was like I don't even I don't even know what to do with this like yeah. I leave my phone here so different people were texting me saying congratulations but then um some of the coaches were trying to also text me and, and like tell me like the trade happened but I missed mm -hmm. their texts because so many other people were texting me um, yeah. but then I got a call from the coach and he just kind of explained like we've been traded um it's not public yet. So then 
not too much later, they saw it on TV, so it was official. But that was a roller coaster. <laughs> that is yeah. crazy. Yeah, I was uh talking to my mom and so I was like, you know, we're going to to Phoenix, right? Like, <laughs> we're like, I know y'all don't like to fly, but we're flying. <laughs> um, I don't care. And then obviously, when you like got traded to New York, my mom was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, have you? I guess. So I see before that, like, so have you talked to like your teammates? I mean, I'm assuming you have like, um, cause I know, I think Sabrina Inescu, right? Was also mm-hmm. was, like drafted to New York really like, yeah. Talk about like how it's been like being a part of the team, like during COVID-19 and also like during Austin mm-hmm. after like George Floyd's more like, how's the team been um, in terms of, you know, talking to players and talking to your teammates and coaches? So we actually have, we're a very, very young team. We have six rookies. Um, oh, I think uh, the average age of our team is like 22 years old. So we are very, very yeah, young. Yeah. Um, but I think that's like an exciting part about the team is, you know, some teams are like older um, and you have that like rookie veteran dynamic where you're like, you know, I'm new, I'm trying to fit in. Whereas in this situation, I think there's just a lot of youth and, and good positive energy around the program um I think everyone and I'm thankful for this everyone's been really welcoming and supportive thus far of just saying like okay a lot of us are young um reach out and and especially in this time where it's like this isn't even a typical season so nobody really Mm. knows um so you know even thinking of transitions of like okay what does training camp look like what does moving into the apartments or travel like nobody can really definitively answer those questions because it's a new it's a new situation for us all and we're all kind of learning together and so I think from that standpoint it's been um, interesting to learn my teammates and meet them over zoom because they haven't met in person yet still Um, it's been cool to have some teammates who I played against in college and now like we're not rivals anymore Um, but I think the the other part of it is like as you mentioned with the different killings and murders of George Floyd most most recently. Yeah. I've been very thankful um and hopeful about the program uh because I think we've had very healthy and productive conversations of okay, how is everyone processing everything that's going on in the middle of a pandemic? Um you know some people are American citizens, some are black, some are white, some are um, foreign or international players. And so bringing our different perspectives and understandings of race, our different experiences with race, I think that's been super enlightening, um, but also challenging to say like, okay, this is what's happened, but what are we gonna do about it? How are we gonna carry the momentum forward and, and figure out ways that we can use our platforms um, to create and enact change. And I think that's a conversation and discussion that's going to continue. But I think um, in our different institutions, like we can agree that not every program or institution is willing to have those conversations in the, in the first mm-hmm. place. Not all players are willing to be a little uncomfortable or be vulnerable and um, express how they're feeling or what they want. And so I'm grateful and hopeful to, to, be in a situation um, amidst all the craziness that at least is showing promise in that regard. Um, and we'll see how it, we'll see how it continues, but I'm excited about my teammates and staff and I think it's been a good start. Yeah. 
So um, a question from one of our recent guests, um, Abbas Allah, um, point guard, like the number one men's basketball team in the nation, Swarthmore College. <laughs> um, he was like curious, um, and I guess I, I definitely am too, is like, how are you and your teammates kind of staying like mentally and like physically prepared like for the season? Like, um, obviously, like, uh, it may not start this year, may, like you guys might, you know, whatever it is, but how are you trying to stay mentally and physically prepared despite all the things going on and trying to keep your mental yeah, and physical health like as, as best you can? Yeah, I think uh, we've just, I think we'll, a, a formal announcement on the season will probably happen soon. Um, I think the WNBA has been uh, following the NBA and other leagues and just trying to track and put together a logical plan for um, the resumption or start of play. Uh, so with that, you know, there's so many questions and things are uncertain, but I think the first thing is checking in on each other, right? Like asking each other, like, how are you doing? How are you keeping up? Um, what do you have access to? And so on and so forth um, to let people know that they're not alone. You know, we're, we're all in this together, but we're, we're experiencing the effects of it a little bit differently. Um, but at the same time, like we are forming a team um, and we need to treat each other such and uplift each other. So I think that's, that's been one uh, nice aspect of it. Another thing is, um, you know, trying to, I think it's, it's kind of hard to try and pump yourself up to work out sometimes when it's like, it's not the same. You one, you don't know for an extended period of time, like, is there going to be a season? When is it going to start? Um, there's so many uncertainties around it but I always believe in like trying to find your why um, you know like what's your motivation and and holding on to that I think in times of uncertainty it's a little bit harder but you know just trying to find different things to motivate you and inspire you um, whether that's like the last dance documentary whether that you know <laughs> basically anything in between but just trying to find those things um, and I think one thing that's been really cool for me is is working not as much physically but mentally so in some ways like that may be watching more film and like studying the game more um which i think is something that, like we're all on computers in this virtual world so there's a huge opportunity to do that versus just like going out and running and running your body to the ground when you know you don't know when things are starting up so it's a combination of like yes staying fit staying in shape trying to keep your handles and maintain where you are, um, but also trying to find other ways um, to stay positive, to stay hopeful, and to stay ready. What's your why? So I have a few different ones. I think at this moment, one big thing for me is proving to myself that I can do this, you know, that I can make it to the next level. Uh, I think another thing is that there's so many people who – don't have this opportunity and I'm a I'm a big person who believes like you don't waste the opportunity and you try and make the most of any opportunity that you are given um and I'll share like for example I have a, I had a college teammate who um inspires me so much I think she's such a strong and resilient person but um six nine player has so much potential to go to league and she had a season or career ending condition right so for me I look at that and I'm like how could I not push myself and give my all when there are people like that who literally have dreamed of this moment and 
you know, don't get to have it. So there's different things like that. Um, I try and keep in mind, um, of course, like my parents and my family wanting them to be proud of me um, and give back all that they poured into me. Uh, but yeah, so there's, there's not just one why for me, but different things that I think of. And I'm like, no, even on days when it's hard, I need to do more or I need to do this. So this question, I have to ask this question. You mentioned the Last Dance documentary. Um, so how did you feel about it? And I guess, like, who's your favorite basketball player of, like, all time? Is it Michael uh, Jordan? Is it? I knew this. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, curious. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate the series, um, especially as someone who didn't grow up in an era where I got to watch Michael Jordan on, on TV. And so, you know, you hear, like, oh, he's the greatest. Um, but without having actually seen him play, without actually having seen um, or understood everything that was going on in his time and how he changed the game for those to come, it just gave me so much um, <clears throat> more respect and admiration. But similar to, to Kobe when he did his documentary too. You know, I was kind of like, I can't say I was a Kobe hater, but I wasn't, I couldn't, classify myself as a fan either. Um, but watching it and just seeing the level of preparation, the mentality behind it, all the craziness going on um, around where it's like, no, you're still performing at a high level. You're still consistent. You're still the go-to, the man. Um, it just gave me a different appreciation. So I can't say, I don't, I don't know. I was like, LeBron, I, don't, I can't say he's the GOAT. I don't mm -hmm. know. But I think different, you know, there's players from different eras, um, different generations, different styles of play, because I think we can agree that basketball has changed over time, but that have nonetheless defined the game for their era. So. Yeah. Rank the three players, LeBron, MJ, and Kobe. Oh, man. <laughs> I, think, I think I'll probably put – Oh, this is tough. I think I'll put MJ first, then Kobe, then LeBron. Your face, you're like, ooh, that's hot take. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys say? What's your order? Um, honestly, uh, I go MJ, LeBron, Kobe. I would... I don't know. I think, okay, this might be definitely controversial. So I would go LeBron, MJ, then Kobe. Okay. Three different variations. Yeah. They're all great, though. So. <laughs> Who's your um, um, favorite, like, women's, like, basketball player of, like, all time? Like, Dan Taurasi, like, Tamiji Catchings. Like, who, like, would be – honestly can't say that I have a favorite. Um, for me, I think I've over time and still am becoming like a student of the game and watching more. Um, I think that when I watch basketball, I'm not following a certain team or following a certain player. Uh, more often than not, I'll watch and be like, oh, this player is really good at this and I like them for that. This player is really good at that, and I like them for that. And um, more so watching to see, like, what people are doing and what I can pick up rather than being like, 
oh, this is hands down my favorite player. Because um, I think, you know, people just think, bring different things to the table. Um, and so just learning to value and appreciate them for what they bring is something that I, I do when I watch. Hmm. What you call yeah. it? I, I want to switch gears just a tad bit. Um, <laughs> just because, like, you know, it's slightly educated. So we got to throw in stupid shit. That's what's making us slightly educated. <laughs> um, so something that we like to do is that, again, like, you're super impressive academically, athletically. Well, like, you know what I mean? Uh, so we're going to have, like, you know, to, like, the viewer, I'm like, damn, it's like this person, like, basically superhuman. So we always ask our guests to tell us of a time that they took a huge L, you know what I mean? Like egg all over their face type thing. So like, <laughs> the viewers at home could be like, hey, look, they human too, you feel me? And so, you know, tell us a story of when you took that L. You don't have to be on the field. You don't have to be in the classroom. It could be anywhere, you know what I mean? Like you really like fumbled, the, you know, like you really fumbled it and you was just like, damn. Hey, I'm trying to think. Um... Let's see, let's see, let's see. Can we come back to this one? Oh yeah, take your time. Yeah. Okay, let me, let me yeah. think on that one. <laughs> For sure. Um, so this is like a lot more recent. Um, did y'all see Dave Chappelle's skit? Or his, um, not skit, but like his thing on YouTube? Mm-mm. Nah, so he was just talking about like all like the sort of Breonna Taylor's murder, like George Floyd and um and everything else that was going on and like i was watching that yesterday morning i actually shed i was like wow like he went in for like 25 minutes um so i guess we haven't seen it all yet maybe but it was just a very like powerful thing and it definitely for me i was like yeah dave Chappelle is the greatest sort of at what he does in terms of comedians things like that i don't know if y'all agree but um i just yeah i definitely like recommend watching it no i think dave Chappelle is actually quite brilliant and i you know I didn't grow up watching his show um but recently watched the um like specials that he had on netflix um and just hearing his commentary and it it, you know it's thought-provoking where it's like "Hmm, that's a take i hadn't hadn't quite considered before but (laughs) you got a point there (laughs) or um you know like that's a little controversial but like it's not completely untrue um yeah so just how he is able to to bring it all together but like at the same time be funny and you know sometimes you catch yourself and it's like i shouldn't be laughing at this but like (laughs) (laughs) but i'm laughing so i do think he's um he's quite brilliant so i'll check that out you said it it was on youtube yeah it came out like a couple of days ago i think like two or three days ago okay um i think you brought something really like a good point it's like swat is like a very like you know what I mean? Like, very super PC spot. So it's like, if you say anything out of pocket, like, you get shut down immediately. And like, I remember, like, we were all, like, in one of my, one of our friend, close friends, Rafi, Rafi uh, in his room watching it. And, like, Dave Chappelle was saying some shit, and everybody was just like, everybody was like, bro, you better not laugh, son. You better not laugh. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just sitting there like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, man. So I'm actually like, in terms of, so of all the things going on, um, there've been like a lot of celebrities and people who just said like shit that you're just like, okay, no one wants to hear from you anymore. Um, and I was talking to a friend about it and I, I'm not like, like super hip on all these things. I don't like follow like social media like crazy much, but 
Um, has there been any celebrities or people like that, or I guess celebrities that you've been like, you know what, you're doing like good work. You're really like speaking up for the community and like, actually like doing something good. And the other ones are just like, really, is that you? <laughs> like, what do you, what, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, so I start off, I'm not super active on social media to begin with either. Mm. Um, and I think especially in light of recent events in the past few weeks, I've intentionally been like unplugging a little bit or at least mm. um, not consuming everything because it can be overwhelming. And I think with the videos, especially like it's not normal <coughs> and it shouldn't be normal to like watch them and watch people die repeatedly. So I've had to, um, you know, kind of unplug and back up a little bit. So I haven't followed everything and seen every little thing that's happened on social media because there's a lot there. But um, I think I've questioned this uh, idea that everyone has to to put their public stance out on social media. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's I think it's great to know where people stand because for me I'm like I like to know <laughs> who's who um, and what's what, but I think it it also leads to um, some people just putting out what they think people want to hear without actually being sincere, without actually being authentic in it and having the action to follow up behind it. Um, and so I think that's something I've been. Uh, skeptical of in this time but also have also admired um others who've been very vocal who've also been acting um and starting initiatives in light of everything that has gone on um but i think the biggest thing is to see how it carries forth um you know when when things quiet down what are people still doing what are people still saying um and i think that that more than anything will tell who's who and what's what I see a question though. I have a couple highlighted. Uh, I think like some people, some individuals are really just like, I was just like, why would you even, why did you even decide to speak? Like, take away your phone, bro. Like, turn it off. Mm -hmm. Um, Terrell Cruz, you know, remember like that dude from Everybody Hate Chris? That mm -hmm. super brolic thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he said something about like, uh, it was like, yeah, like, you know, we got to be careful and make sure, like, you know, the black supremacy doesn't become, like, the new replacement for white supremacy. I was just, everybody was like, really? <laughs> you see, my face. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? And he, was, and he was, like, everybody arguing, like, can I not see what I'm trying to say? And, like, the, the homie who played Chris and everybody hate Chris, he was like, I don't think they're hating on you. I think they have a valid point. And he was just like, he couldn't see. And I was just like, Bro, like, who told you to write this? Like, you need you. I don't have nobody I could send out text to. Like, like, hey, what you think about this, bro? You think this is good? You think right. this is good before I send this out? And then there was another one, funny one. Um, it was like this, like, uh, woman named B. Small. She was like recently became like a millionaire, uh, selling books and like selling product. And she was knocking like she was like, I can't. She said something about like, I can't date guys who work nine to fives because they'll never understand the way I think. And that they were like, so you knocking nine to five? It was like, but weren't you just working night? Weren't you just working nine to five two years ago? What you mean? Right. <laughs> Why are you knocking us now? <laughs> I was just like, again, like a simple. I'm just like. Why, like, how did you wake up this morning and say, I'm going to make this on the Instagram live? It's like, just let it slide, bro. Just think it I'm like, yeah, I'm going to think that. And just yeah. Oh, yeah and I think that's so 
that's the the dangerous thing of social media nowadays. Um, and I think why it's also important to like take time off. And that was like the thing that I did is I wanted clarity over what I was thinking, how I was feeling before, you know, I'm not going to rush to social media and just be like, retweet, retweet, like, 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 retweet, retweet, or type this and send it. Um, because I think, you know, words carry weight. And like, even if it's a joke, um, not everybody else is going to take it as a joke. Uh, and so you, I think you, you have to be careful of what you say, how you say it. That doesn't mean don't say anything. That doesn't mean be silent, but be intentional um, and be thoughtful because, you know, Twitter feuds and uh, <laughs> other, you know, social media wars, like, will take over um, just because of, of something that you didn't think through all the way. So I think something I want something I also seen um that I think I a lot of highlighted a lot on my Twitter feed is uh colorism. Um mm-hmm. they basically like people basically made the analogy that colorism is like basically the daughter of racism. Um and what you call it. And it's particularly like I think it was like a lot of like black women were just basically like, you know, like deep like I watched like a, they were putting like a whole bunch of videos out and like a whole bunch of Twitter threads like breaking it down and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like reading it. I was just like, yeah, like, cause like to me, like I, I always like the first time I ever, I think I really saw colorism had to be like in like 2014 when like they used to like all the guys used to have this light skin versus dark skin battle mm-hmm. and be like, I'm light skin to so this time the fourth. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it was like a huge thing, like in my high school. I'm sure, like high schools across like the nation, everybody was just like, "Bro, I'm light skinned this time the forward. And but I was just like asking from like your perspective, um, you know, uh, like, what's your thoughts on colorism? Have you like, you know, I'm sure you faced it, and like, how do you deal with it? And like, I think it definitely exists, right? Like, I don't think we can deny that. I think it definitely is a product of racism, right? Like, we weren't all, you know, somehow. Some way we got different shades of of brown and black, right? Um, and I mean, if we think about it, when you had slavery, like how did we get fair or light skinned people, and why were they favored? It's because more than likely they had some blood relation to the master or to whatever white folk <coughs> were there. Um, and so I think, you know. We can't deny colorism. I can't say exactly that I've faced it or, you know, directly, or maybe I just didn't realize because we're all, you know, fish swim in water, but don't realize that they're in water, right? So we're all mm. in these systems, but don't necessarily um, have an awareness of them or their impact all the time, but they definitely mm. do. Um, and so, uh, I don't know, I, I definitely do see it. You know, even if it's, as you're mentioning, like, oh, I'm light skin, I'm dark skin. Um, it's interesting, you know, with the emojis, right? Like, you can you can pick your complexion, right? And sometimes, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, sometimes people send me messages, and I'm like, is that the complexion you really see yourself as? Or, you know, <laughs> it's little things like that. Yeah, but, yo, slide to the right, bro. Slide to the right. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. But we um we put a lot of emphasis on color, which is is sometimes fascinating, 
or even you know people in their in their preferences or their types right like oh i like light-skinned people versus dark-skinned like what does that mean why you know why are we thinking that way hey my say hello she got graphic. So, bro. WNBA. She's, yeah, she's a professional basketball player, though. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but here, <laughs> it's my little brother. This way. Hi. He has been shy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just got a haircut? Yeah, he came out yeah. with the haircut, too. <laughs> um, But, oh, yeah, now I was like, even, like, my little brother, because he's like, He's lighter than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one time he like he said something. I, well, he was like eight. And I was just like, he was like, yeah, he was like, me and daddy different than you and mommy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Sir? <laughs> he was like, oh, we lighter and you're dark. I'm like, I'm like who told you this? <laughs> <laughs> but then I think it's just like, it's really significant because I'm like, bro, it's like, you're eight like where is this like who's having these conversations who told you like you're different because you're lighter you know what yeah. i mean like um so it's interesting that's really interesting well it's yeah. fascinating how kids pick up things they're like when they first start to notice differences yeah. um and i don't i don't think it's a bad thing at all to notice differences i think the the bad part is when you act upon them Right. Like when you start to internalize them and start to think of yourself as different or less than because Mm. you're darker or when you treat somebody else as less than because, you you know, because you see these differences. But I think differences can be beautiful. Right. Like it's all about how we interpret them and how we um, act upon them. They don't have to inherently be bad. So I think, you know, that's such an innocent thing for for your brother to be like, oh, mommy and I are different, you know? Yeah. Like he just, he's just articulating what he sees, but I think it, you know, how does he internalize that from there? Is is it like, Mm. oh, we're different and I'm better? You know, that's, that's a different different conversation. Um, And I think (laughs) that's, that's where so many people don't like check themselves. Yeah. um, And how we see so many issues where it's like people, people think that they're, you know, not biased, not discriminating. It's like, did you, did you check your assumptions with, you know, with certain comments or certain mm-hmm. impressions? So. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point because I, I, it could have just been a super innocent comment, and he was just like, hey, like he was like, hey, look at this, mm-hmm. and but then I'm so like <laughs> super hyper aware to so, like the whole like, like like you know what I mean? Because I had to go up through that. I'm super hyper aware. I'm like, what you trying to say, bro? Like you yeah. trying to get that right now? <laughs> But that's, that's the crazy thing. It, it, I feel like for everybody, it starts off innocent. And uh, then at some point, the interpretations are connected to it. And so, so okay. it's kind of like, when, when do those inter- interpretations come? And how do they come about? But we're all, as I said, like we're all fish swimming in this water. So we're all socialized to, you know, assign those connotations to whether it's, it's skin color, whether it's hair texture, um whether it's no you know no shape and and all the other differences that we may know yeah i was um a couple of days ago i was talking to my sister about about sort of like just like being a black and like brown individual sort of like in america and i was like 
you ever think it's weird that, you know, a lot of these cartoons and things like that are always like, yo, be afraid of the dark. Yo, like, make sure there's, like, some white light outside so you're not, like, scared. Like, all the, like, the, the sort of, like, villainous characters are, like, like black in terms of, like, you know, their color scheme and things like that. And I'm just, like, that definitely is fucking with people's heads. Like, yeah, like at very early. Yeah. And I'm just, like, thought about it for myself. I'm just, like, yeah, I've been, like, conditioned to, like, be scared of just, like, black things. You know what I mean? Um, what you were just, like, talking about, I thought it was, like, in, like yeah, it was an interesting conversation. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so much, to, so much to be said about that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I, I think it's true, and it's like the little things that you don't notice are are taking an effect on you, and aren't operating at a conscious level, but subconsciously. You mm. know, we're trained to see black or darker things as bad, um, and it happens over time, and you don't even realize it. I think that's kind of like the the sad part, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to fix it. That's that's, that's like my issue. It's like we can yeah. point out problems, but it's like how do you solve them? How do you fix them or correct them? Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, I think it's definitely like difficult. I think um, just to speak on my bias, I definitely think like entrepreneurship and like like business is one aspect because when you can like you know control like media stations or control like these companies and like what's being put out there i think you have a lot more say in like how these things are done um mm-hmm. so i definitely like advocate for that um more than anything like even us doing this podcast and you you coming on and also our models like seeing is believing more than anything and like being able to share authentic experiences and real voices like i think like that's this is part of it. like we're building this so we can like share with other the next generation so they can see this and understand and I see what's like really important was what's, what's um, yeah. That's awesome. Also, um, what you just said reminded me of something. There's this, I don't know how public it is, but there's this thing called the Hist- History Makers Database. Hmm. And um, it's essentially, how uh, do I start it? I think it's a nonprofit organization. Um, and they have recorded oral histories or like interviews with um, people who are um, called history makers. So um, black and African-American identifying people who have um, basically, you know, changed the world in some way, or in many cases have been the first in a certain field or done something um, pretty remarkable. And I can't remember the age range, um, but there's so many people in there. I think the youngest or one of the youngest is obviously President Barack Obama. Um, I think it wasn't, his was recorded not too long after he was elected, I believe. Um, but they're continuing to um, to interview people and get the oral histories and so the idea is to spread it with um, younger generations so we know our history and we know of different people who've, um, you know, changed the world and, and paved um, the lives that we get to live and hopefully more people continue to do that. So, um, yeah, I think this is really cool. And I think it, it just kind of speaks to the importance of that. Um, but that's, um, I guess, bigger project that has been done, um, which you can probably look into. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's dope. Um, cool question. My fault. Oh, this is all you bro. <laughs> So you, you said you did internships while you was in college? 
So I only got to do one um, and it's actually not the one I thought I would do, but it was quite um, exciting, at least in my opinion. Um, so somewhere between my junior and senior year, because I had graduated already, um, I didn't have any classes to take at the moment. Um, and our like leadership and athletic department, and I'm put this plug in, um, so at the University of Virginia, our athletic director is, her name's Mrs. Uh, Carla Williams, um, Dr. Carla Williams, actually. But um, she's the first African-American woman to be the athletic director in a Power Five conference. And she's incredible. Definitely one of the people who's like inspired me um, and who I look up to. But she has an amazing vision for the athletic department that really centers student athletes and their experience above all else. Um, and really supporting them so that they can be competitive both on the court and in the classroom. And just, you know, this idea, as you were mentioning earlier, like you don't see people balancing. Um, oftentimes you see one being put over the other and she's like, no, I want my student athlete to be great at both and to be able to come to an institution where they can feel that they, that they can do both. Um, and so she's been at the university for two years and has just kind of been restructuring a lot of how programming things are done. And so one of that, those initiatives was um, developing a leadership academy. And so for like specifically for student athletes. And so for my internship, um, I worked with the athletic department to kind of um, put together a curriculum or like thoughts of like what a leadership academy should include. Um, I helped put the, basically put together the um, application process and interviewing process for that and just doing a lot of um, the research to put that program together. So that was a really cool opportunity for me. Um, and I learned a lot <laughs> in doing it. What, in your opinion, um, makes a, a great leader, makes someone like a leader? Like what is the, the formula for that? Um, yeah. I think one of the biggest things that, um, in order to lead, you have to know how to follow. Um, and I think another big thing is, I believe in servant leadership. Mm -hmm. So um, just the idea that you're not sitting here just bossing people around, you're serving people. Um, and I, I think that's one of the biggest things is when people know that you care, are invested in them, um, they respect you more. They, there's a better buy-in, you know. I think leaders, their kind of overall role or task is to mobilize and get people to do something, to do a particular task or something that's challenging, mm -hmm. um, to create change. And you can't do that unless you have people who are willing to, um, people who, you know, are willing to sacrifice of themselves. I think as a leader, like, you have to demonstrate that. You know, you, you, there's no, nothing without um, action or sacrifice yourself. Uh, so I think those are, those are a few things that I've learned. Um, but yeah, being a servant, being selfless, um, mobilizing people um, are some, some key things that I've learned about leadership. I got a question. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think being a leader is something that's like, kind of 
you inherit like you know you got like natural born leaders like this is just something you was born you was always born to be a leader type shit or can everybody become a leader is it something that can be taught in your opinion i think everybody can become a leader um i think the key is that leadership doesn't look the same for any two people uh and that's something i've had to learn over my years like uh on my team i've had uh people who are very very vocal and um just like super energetic, super boisterous. And I'm like, that's not my personality. So I can't lead as that person does. Um, and so does that make me less of a leader? I don't think so. But understanding that anybody can lead, it's just finding the way that's right for them. Um, what's authentic and natural for them. Uh, but I think anybody has the ability to, it's just, <laughs> you have to find what that, what that looks like. What do you guys think? Um, uh, I, well, personally, for me, I totally agree with you. And I actually had a conversation with my mom about this like four days ago. And she was saying like, Josh, you know, you're, you're born a leader and things like that. It's like, mom, I think you can always like become a leader. You guys have to learn and find like what, what's best for you. Like, I think it's not, I think maybe some people have more maybe innate qualities starting out. That's like, oh, like it might be some things might be easier for them that would translate to being like leader or leadership qualities, but at the end of the day, everyone can become a leader in their in their own right. Mm-hmm. And her her take was sort of like, I think I her take was like yes, but like God like put the seeds in you already. So if you get to that point, then it was already born in you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, I was like fair, fair. That's the way to look at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's just my choice. I think anyone can become a leader, but I also think like. Not everyone should be forced to be a leader because some people just don't want to do that too. That's true. Some people just want to be the three or four, or like just like kind of be in the background, let someone else do something. Um, so I think that's something I've learned too because I've definitely tried to force people to be leaders. Like, hey, why don't you like take charge and do this? And people are just like, I don't want to do that, and that's that's like fine because everyone's a different person. But I also think like it comes down to how you define leadership, right? Because I, I don't think mm-hmm. you have to be in the front to lead or be the leader. Mm-hmm. Some people can be in the back and still be influencing and, and leading in their own right. Um, so, yeah. I think no, I, I agree with that. Oh, sorry. No, I, was saying, I, I, think, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I think personally, I don't feel like everybody can be a leader. Um, only because I think not everybody has like the magnetism which I think you like, I feel like, I guess like my conception of a leader is somebody who get like a lot of people to uh, follow them. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking like everybody has like a, I think a certain level of magnetism. And then therefore I feel like everybody could learn like further, like, uh, like, I guess like tips and tricks or lessons from other people, how to like, you know, enhance what they've already got, you know, to become a better version of the leader that they currently like innately are. You feel me? Right. Uh, but I don't feel, I don't feel like everybody uh, got that level of like magnetism, um, and I felt like I think I had to like come to grips with that after reading like um, "Start with Why" by Simon Sinek. I don't know if you ever heard about that book. Yeah. And he was like, you got individuals like Wozniak, and then you got Steve Jobs. Even like Steve Jobs is, has like magnetism. He's a great leader. Mm-hmm. Right, but Wozniak, he—if you probably tell if you, you could have wrote the same script that you gave Jobs and gave it to Wozniak. Wozniak can't do that. Right. <laughs> Wozniak is gonna sm- kill you when he comes to like making a computer. I right? he cold with a computer. He'll make that computer, <laughs> and Jobs can't do that. 
Right. You know what I mean? But you, so you have some people who I, I feel like it's kind of like nobody doesn't want to be like a follower, right? But I think like some people, I feel like some people are just born to play certain different roles. And mm. because in society, I think we like kind of uplift, like saying like, you got to like, everybody want to be the visionary. But like as Wozniak shows, you could have a really cool life just being the executor of somebody else's vision. Right. You necessarily have to be like the leading force. Um, That's so true. Yeah. And there's different power that comes with the different roles too. You know, like I think um, so. And like in my program for masters, study leadership concepts as well. And it's really interesting to see like what people at the top can do versus what people at the bottom can do. I think people at the bottom have the the power to um, resist a little bit more or push or pull against institutions or people at the top is like, you're the figurehead, you say something wrong and you're done, you know? (laughs) So I think there's, there's great strength in, in both positions. Um, And I, I think that's why it's like, yes, it's leadership, but it's, it's influence it's really, it's really influence, right? Like mm, a person at the yeah. top may, may be influencing more people, but the person at the bottom is in touch with the people, with the other people at the bottom who really make the, the changes, right? Like mm-hmm. who really are, are the people who need to be influenced, right? Cause they, they, they make things happen or don't or not happen. Um, so I think that it's important to recognize like anybody can, lead or influence from any position Mm. um and some people have more power or less power just based on what position they they hold um before any more questions how is everyone on time we can also edit this part out (laughs) i'm good i'm gucci all right yeah have you had enough Um, time to think about yeah l story yeah i got one Okay, so when I was at, oh, what grade was I? I don't know, like, what you guys' school is like, but every year or, you know, every um, quarter, like, your class had to do a school presentation or school assembly. Mm-hmm. So, me, I think I was in third, third grade, yeah. Me being me, um, I was kind of the teacher's pet, so... You know, I would have a lot of parts in the play and kind of like be going up and down on stage. Well, in third grade, I got braces, right? And um, I had this, this this thing called a tongue shield. It's not quite a retainer, but it's similar. So it kind of, <laughs> when you get it, you have to um, practice like talking because it, it you'll get a little lisp if you don't, like when you first get it until you get used to it and grow into it. So I got this the day before the school assembly. And mind you, I had at least like five parts in this play and some were short, you know, just one, <laughs> one liners and others were like long. But I went on stage because I couldn't like just give my parts away the day before. Um, and I couldn't change my orthodontist appointment. So I went on stage and I just remember talking and everybody was just looking because I was talking with a bad list, like bad. <laughs> and people were just like laughing at me and I just had to keep going. I was like, I can't do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely um, 
an embarrassing moment. I lived through it. I don't think I got teased too much. Um, but that was one moment where I was like, dang. My parents set me up for that one. <laughs> <laughs> it was a setup. <laughs> that was funny. That was pretty funny. Oh, man. Uh, I actually have a question. This is like kind of on the previous thread just about like leadership. Um, how do you know like what your role is, right? How do you kind of say like, this is my role versus like, this is the role I want to like grow into, but like, how do I know it's like my time to get, get there? Um, Cause I think like, for me, I thought about that sometimes like playing sports and even doing other things is like, is this my, my set role like forever? Like, can I like kind of transition to something like greater? Like, is it about timing? Is it just me thing? Or should I not even be in this role? Um, so I, I'm curious to like know both of your thoughts on that. Um, so for me, whenever I'm in introduced to a new group, the first thing I do is, is kind of watch and observe. Um, and that doesn't mean completely disengage, but I think it's important to be able to like read the room as people say, um, and kind of see like what personalities, what dynamics are already existing and alive in that space. Uh, I think sometimes, uh, you know, a role is given to you based on whatever the need of that team, like, you know, we've played sports. So yeah. sometimes you're brought into a situation to <laughs> fill a particular role and it may not always be the role that you want, but look, own that role, you know, be the best mm. person that you can be in that role because then that will show that you can grow into something else. But if you're not mm. doing what you need to do there, then why would somebody entrust you to have a different role? Um, right. or a bigger role. So I think that's, that's one thing. Uh, another thing, I guess, would be, um, you know, it, it's interesting because sometimes you can choose your own role or assign your role, and sometimes it's just given to you. Um, and so you kind of have to to figure out which, which side of that you want to be on. Mm -hmm. But I always think um, you can own where you are right now, but then also always strive for more if that's what you want. Um, it's important to be like adaptable and, and willing to stretch yourself and, and try it, even if it doesn't become your permanent role, but at least try it um, because that's only gonna make you better at the end. So true. I agree. I think uh, something um, ours like in the relation to sports is like, I think sometimes like the role that you want to get, it might not be best suited for you, but it's probably like the most attractive role, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I could think about back being like um in like eighth grade, like playing JV soccer. And you want everybody wants to either play like midfield or the forward. You want to be that person who's on the ball, or you want to be the person who was at the end, like when you about to score, you feel me? Mm -hmm. And my coach put me at center back. I am the defender. And I'm just like, oh, this ain't sexy. Like, you feel me? Nobody going to yeah. remember. <laughs> like, nobody comes to Bailey, like, on comes to the soccer game, like, yeah, that was a hell of a tackle, bro. Like, nobody remember that. <laughs> you feel yeah. me? And, but, like, it was, like, it was hard to see. And I used to grumble about it. But then I think about, it, like, okay, like, comparatively to my other, like, eighth graders, like, and ninth graders, I was bigger and I was faster. So it was like, sure, you could have had me up there, but then like, it's like, where would I have been most useful for the team? 
Mm-hmm. And Shoya would have been like, you could be like the unsung hero, you know what I mean? And like, you could be the best defender and just be like, yo, this is, as you said, like own your position. Like, this is me. Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then like, you, of course you're going to be tight when you go to school and then everybody was like, yeah, hell of a goal. Like, what about the 10 goals that I stopped? Nobody yeah. remember that, huh? <laughs> um, but, you know, I, again, I always think about Jobs and Wozniak, you know what I mean? Like, everybody knows who Steve Jobs is, but, you know, sometimes not, every, not everybody was meant to be Steve Jobs. And sometimes you got to be the center back and yeah. let the other people play forward. But I think yeah. at the end of the day, you, you have to be confident in that, right? Like, it, even if you're not getting all the attention, you got you to gotta be cool with that at the end of the day. And and own that but it's it's um oh you said something that reminded me like i think it's it's really cool sometimes where people want certain positions but it's not the best for them and sometimes it's like humbling yourself and being like okay this other person has a bigger vision this other person understands my strengths and our weaknesses better than i do at this moment and so eventually if I serve in this role in a faithful way, like I can, you know, I can get to a point where I'll recognize my own strengths and weaknesses and become, be able to understand like, oh, this is why this person did it. Like they had a bigger bigger vision, a bigger understanding. I think that's another thing. Sometimes it's just like having blind faith, which is hard. (laughs) Oh yeah, super hard. And I think you got, yeah. as you said, like you got to be confident within yourself. You got to know, like, I, like, you're not going to get the high fives. You're not going to get the love you want in the hallways. But, you know, in the back of the, you know, the, <laughs> at the end of the day, like, you was, you was that guy. Like, you know what I mean? You did your thing. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. But it's I hard to think, see, though. Yeah. But that's, a, that's yeah. another thing I think is really important for leaders, right? Like, to honor everybody, regardless of their position. Um because I think it's so easy to go to the to the main score, the person who's dishing out the assist and be like, oh, good good job. You know, you're really killing it. But the person who may be on the bench but still has a role, you know, is still giving their all in practice, still supporting you, uplifting you. Like, you can't ignore that person. So giving everybody love, I think, is, is really important um, for a leader to make, to make people want to be a part of it, to make people want to be better and do more. Yeah. And to all the six people on the bench, Lou Williams was a six man of the year, six person of the year. He's a baller. He's a hooper. <laughs> um, I think like just a funny, funny thing. Uh, so I played defense in um, middle school as well. Um, Rashid and Jocelyn. And I didn't know like forward or like mid back, mid center was like the go-to position. I was just like, I love playing defense. I was like kicking the ball and things like that. My parents, you know, my, my dad played soccer. My dad was like, don't you want to be forward? I was like, why? <laughs> um, I still got my goals in though. Cause I just ran up all through the entire field. I was like, I don't really know what's going on. Let me just go on the field. <laughs> oh man. I haven't seen today. Like my little brother loved defense when he was like eight years old. Every day be like, so my guy, like you don't, how about you ask coach to play midfield? How about you just move up to forward? You feel me? You want to score goals? Like, come on, son. <laughs> like, we tired. Like, even like you that like you like, wow, he made a great tackle, but you just like really wish there was a goal though. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But hmm. no. We're just thinking about Josh. 
I don't know. I'm just having like a wonderful time talking to both of y'all, to be honest. Um, yeah, this has been a really good conversation. Yeah. I think something I want to ask you, though, is that, you know, um, you say, you, you know, you got you just got drafted, mm-hmm. um, but you're super down to earth and like you then like super easy to talk to, like not pretentious at all. And, you know, like you have a, enough reason to have like, a, you know, a pretty big head, but you seem pretty just like chill, pretty down to earth, you know, and so how you stay so grounded? That's a good question. Uh, I, don't, I, I'm, I feel like I've always been a pretty, like, humble person. But I think part of it is knowing that nothing's guaranteed, right? Like, you could have the world one day, and then it's going the next. Um, and so I think just, just having perspective and also understanding, like, I may have more than some, but I also have less than many others, too. Um, so I'm a pretty, like, I feel like even kill person where it's just like, I stay in the middle of the road, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't like extremes too much. Some people are like, give me your favorite or your worst. I'm like, I'm normally like, nah, I'm sick right here in the middle. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Um, but yeah, so I think just with anything, um, not getting too high, not getting too low. And that's just the perspective I have on life. Um, I also think, I will say though, I think my parents have done a great job of just like humbling me, you know, where it's like <laughs> you could have a game and think that you did well, but then your parents are still, you know, you get in the car and parents are still like, you know, you missed that layup. Right. Or, you know, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you pizza, right? <laughs> so just oh, always um, having that level of humility where it's like, mm. even on your best days, there's still things that you can improve in or mm. do better. Even on your worst days, like, it's not the end of the day. You're still alive, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but I think my parents have definitely kind of like instilled that in me. And so I find myself doing that with myself. Or yeah. it's like after a game, it's, people are like, oh, good job, good job. And I'm like, hey, I could have done better, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, this wasn't the best game. It's like, well, it, you know, it's not the end of the world. So. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah. You're like, oh, I just, I just dropped 45. But you missed the layup, dog. You missed right. the layup. <laughs> you could have had, you could have had 47 if you missed <laughs> Oh man. <clears throat> hmm. Have you met anybody famous now that you like you know like has like you know like anybody like famous? Well, we've been in a pandemic, so haven't <laughs> officially met anybody, but I think that has been one of the really um weird weird things is like you've you've seen these players um, on TV, you know, you may follow them on social media, but now they're like adding you or following you or tweeting you, so on and <laughs> so forth. And it's just kind of like, I, you know, it's not what I w- would have expected. Um, mm-hmm. Or to, yeah, to to be in conversations or like on virtual calls with with like legends of the game and stuff. And it's like, okay, this, you know. It's, it's, it's different, a different perspective, a different insight. Um, and I think with that, it's important as a rookie to like 
to I'm never one to like idolize people you know definitely mm-hmm. have respect but I'm never like I've been I've been raised to, to think like this is just another person you know they may have some things going on but like you don't bow down to their feet necessarily just because of the success that they've had because they've worked for that they're human too um but it's been interesting to kind of like realize like oh I'm I'm on a call with this person you know like what drop a name drop a name why are you holding <laughs> back I want are you talking to LeBron or like what's up no like on the woman's side like Superd, you know um yeah. Van Tarasi, like legend um Brianna Stewart, so and so forth. Uh, the Aguma cases, you know, so it's just like. <laughs> you've watched these people, um, especially for me, like before I was going to going into college, like these are people who were graduating and like they were the, the headliners of their draft class and things like that. So now it's important for me to be like, okay, I'm in the room with them, but like, I also deserve to be here. I'm not just idolizing them. Like I'm competing Mm -hmm. with them um, or against them. Um, I'm their teammates and so on and so forth. So that's been like a very unique experience, I guess. That's pretty cool. Instagram needs to give you that blue check. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, (laughs) I feel like I'm not active enough. So I don't have like as many followers, but that's okay. I'm not, I'm not chasing followers <laughs> on social media. Wait, how much you got? I don't even know. <laughs> Josh, you could you could check. I don't know. What's going on here? Will you be active enough to shout us out on your Instagram? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I definitely will. Um, I just like my thing is I don't. I need to get better at this and this is an area I'm like looking to grow in is mm. being more active using my platform more. Um, mm. I think for me, I, I need to find a way that's like still true to my character because I'm not, I'm just not one to be on social media. Sometimes I'm like, I'm from a different or the wrong generation, but um, no, I, I do go on every now and then. And like, if I was a part of a podcast or something, like I'll promote and support that um, uh, and things like that. Yeah. I think yeah I think that's something I've had to kind of learn over the years too and I'm also still like growing into it's just like social media is really like powerful like it um, is like the amount of people I've met through just like Twitter and LinkedIn and like I've actually become like mentors and like a funny story like Rashid met someone on LinkedIn like two years ago um it was like yo you're Haitian Josh is Haitian (laughs) y'all should talk (laughs) and then (laughs) is that really how the connection happened (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He, he, hit, he hit me up. He was like talking. He was like, "Yeah, I'm Haitian. I went to Con College." I'm like, "Yo, you know who else is Haitian? Josh." <laughs> and now, like, Mark is like good, for, like great friend and like mentor for the past two years. Like crazy. Yeah. Um, and just using that to like voice like about like you know what your expertise are. Obviously, like you being a scholar and athlete, um, and like and each of us having our own lane. I think it's like definitely like, powerful to spread that. So. It is very, very powerful, and I think you definitely see that with, like, how people have been able to mobilize within the past few weeks, but I also think it's exhausting, personally, Um, and just kind of, like, as, like, again, as I said, like, I'm pretty thoughtful about what I post, how I post, and stuff, so Mm -hmm. I'll literally be, like, type something up, and it's, like, "Ah, no, you know, like, this isn't right, or um, this is 
not the right platform for this and so on and so forth. They're like, how do I respond to this? Do I need to respond? Or is it like enough? You know, like all these little nuances where I'm just like, I can't, but it's, yeah. it's super powerful. You got the right idea though. Cause I, I feel like a lot of people just like rattle off the first tweet that comes to their head. Be like, ah, right, this right here is fire. Until they got oh, like the comments saying like this was not it, boss. Like you should. And then they delete. Yeah. And then people get on them for deleting the thread. And it's just like, <laughs> like say it with your chest, homie. <laughs> yeah. Plus, people probably screenshot the tweet anyway when it's first down. Oh yeah. That's true. Should go nowhere. <laughs> and then they start a whole new thread, like blast and be like. Y'all see this shit? Down, yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Speak about. Can you speak a little bit about your brother? Uh, like his oh, yeah. influence on you coming up. You know, I feel like older siblings always have a lot of influence over their younger ones. Yeah, no. So my brother's been great. Um, even to this day, like if I ask him, like, "Hey, can we go to the park and like just rebound?" Like he'll do that. And I think that's been um, something that I've been really appreciative of. Like, first he introduced me to the game and like. I was a tomboy growing up to a certain degree. So like just always chasing after him, wanting to do whatever he did. Um, and like literally my parents tell this story that um, they dropped him off at karate class and I was too young to enroll. So they would just do little things to like keep me included of like he'd go in. And then when um, I go with my parents, like they let me bow into the dojo and, and stuff, <laughs> even though like, I was going right back into the car, you know, so yeah. <laughs> um, just things like that and and um, watching him grow and learn different things. And um, I think older siblings sometimes have it harder because they're like setting, mm. you're, oh. you're an older sibling, <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know about that. But, you know, just just setting, setting the example and um, – I think parents parent differently for older versus younger younger siblings. Yeah. yeah. That. But um, so I don't know, just like benefiting from that being the younger sibling, but also like having him seeing things that he did well and like wanting to to match that and sometimes like you know surpass that. It's like it's still kind of a sibling competition to some degree, but then also like learning from where he did you know where he didn't go well, um, mm-hmm. not in a bad way, but just like you know, funny little things that we'll tell stories about now. Um, so it's been great to, like, see that and be at, be at different stages, but, like, have a model at least to look up to. Um, but then at the end of the day, still somebody that's always going to support you and that you will support. So. What's the age difference between y'all? We're about three, three and a half years. Oh, right. that's about Yeah. Mm. Uh. I got it. What's your favorite? It. Is you? No, you got it. You got it. Oh, no. I just want to say I had a real bad being like, I'm like, what? So I'm like 12, basically 12 years older than my little brother. So my parents were just like in a different level of athletic prime. <laughs> <laughs> they was well with the shits when it came to like discipline. Yeah. And now I'm like, <laughs> my mom really had like, Bailey got the energy like, <laughs> let him do what he wants to do here. Wait, I get back to you. What were you saying, Josh? No, man. I was just saying, like, what are y'all like favorite like stories or story with your sibling? Because um, we all got siblings here, so just like, what is that favorite story for you? 
a story that I think my brother and I do just he used to do a lot of like funny little things. So yeah. playing in the backyard. I remember one time we um granted I still don't know how to so my parents or my dad have brought us these um like baseball mitts and like softballs to like throw back and forth to try and learn how to catch with the glove. Still can't do it. I haven't really tried since. But um I remember we were throwing and like trying to playing catch basically and I missed the ball and um like the ball bounced and then went into this flower pot that my mama had. But we didn't realize that, um, I don't know if they're like wasps, but some type of like flying bee insect thing mm-hmm. had like made a nest in the, in the dirt in the flower, in the flower pot. So then they got irritated or yeah, whatever. I was like, these things. <laughs> <laughs> things with the stingers. Yeah. So they got irritated and, um, uh, they started like coming out after my brother and I. And so we just ended up, I think we like took the water hose and just like basically drowned the nest. But like we do, we would do like stupid stuff like that, like play in the dirt and just like play with bugs or so on and so forth. But definitely have a lot of memories of just like being outside, um, chasing each other around or like doing something that we thought was fun. But in retrospect, it's kind of like, what are we doing? um i think as like i like you know our little kids go through our little age where they like to like get like play beat up by like their older siblings so my little brother's in that age where he likes like like likes like play fighting and stuff like that and uh i think it's just funny um he caught me off guard and he punched me in the stomach and then my reactions kicked in and my automatic reaction was like to swing back and then, like, I swung back, and he was just, like, it was, like, a moment of silence. It was, like, a moment, like, I was just, like, <laughs> oh, my God, I just did that to him. And he was just looking, like, oh, my God, did you just do that to me? You're 12 <laughs> years older than me. <laughs> and he was just, but fortunately, I was, like, yo, chill, 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 because mommy not going to hear nothing. She going to beat the hell out of me, bro. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't cry. <laughs> oh, um, man. Um, that's one thing you learn as a younger sibling. All you gotta do is cry sometimes, and it's just like, oh yeah, oh, it's rather <laughs> right unfair. It's rather right unfair. It's like be like, uh, try me if you want to. <laughs> I'm crying in a second. <laughs> I got the water bottle right here. I'll throw some water on my face. <laughs> um, I think honestly, like for me, like I just love talking to my sister just about like our parents, like mm. just like the difference. My sister's like nine years older than me. So I'm just like, how are mom and dad like doing this? And we still like talk about all the funny like shit our parents do now. <laughs> like my dad, like his go-to is like, all right, Josh and Robin need food. So it's out of pancakes, like hamburgers, pizza, or like some some whatever. We were talking about it. And my sister's like, yeah, you know, dad, like, you know, he's not perfect, but he loves you. And like, you know, what his whole thing is like, he got to get you food. And I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> they do the same thing for me. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, food. He's like, okay, I got to take care of them. Where's the pizza store? Um, <laughs> So it's like just a little funny thing that we laugh about. Um, mm-hmm. Parents is a good topic for your siblings. Oh yeah. Um, my parents be on like just different. They're in a different like. Sometimes they be in a different world. Like I don't even know. Like it's like I'll, like I'll talk to them about certain topics, and my dad just be like, 
Hey, it is what it is, bro. Like, like shit, like shit happens like all the time. My mom is like, you know, Josh, like, um, I don't have time for this. Talk to your sister. Like, so sometimes they're dismissive about things. Sometimes they're just like kind of brush things aside. But it's also interesting just to, like hear them talk about like their childhoods, like my parents in Haiti and like talking about like how things are just so much different and whatnot. Um, and I don't know if you know, Jocelyn, but um, Rashid is actually was born in Jamaica. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was interesting hearing those stories. I be always funny. You hit him like, I like, damn, nigga, you really grew up in the slums, huh? He's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, y'all have it good, huh? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> is that? What was it like when you um, first came to the states? Like, was it a huge adjustment, or were you like, well, how old were you when you came to the states? So I came when I was eight. Uh, so, it, so it. It was a huge, I think it was a huge adjustment, as I could tell now, because I think, um, so, like, my mom was, like, super, like, um, like well-educated in Jamaica. Like, she went to college um, and stuff like that, and what you call it, and she was, like, she did microfinancing, which is really cool, so she helped people, like, build by, like, you know, giving out, like, micro loans and stuff like that. Like, true, like, and you know what I mean? Like, she was, like, pretty good at what she did. She loved what she did. And she was like on her way to like moving up to management. Um, and I think I used to come ahead like for like the summers, you know, visit my cousins. And like, you know, anybody who's in the Caribbean, everybody like, damn, I want to go to America so bad. I want to live here so bad. And my dad lived here. And I think one day they asked me, they was like, you want to live in America? And I was like, hell yeah, bro. All my cousins <laughs> over there. <laughs> I didn't know they was actually going to be like, I didn't know I was actually going to move in like a two week span. I used to remember my mom was like, are you sure you want to do this right now? Are you sure? And I'm like, yo, it's lit. All my cousins in the same crib, like, it's lit. I'm trying to go. So I was like, are you sure? So I like, are you sure? We having a really, it's a good life down here. Um, But it's like, I think the, a lot of the transitions is that, like, for example, like my mom, like, she knew everything about, like, academics. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was like, you know how, like, you have, like, some parents here, like, they'd be like, yeah, I know which exact schools, like, my want my kid to go through. I know the exact path because mm-hmm. they know the system. Um, when my coming here, like, we don't know anything, you know what I mean? So it's really yeah. just, like, you stumble into things. You missing things because you just didn't know there was, you were, like, you wasn't aware. Um, and I think, like, uh, I think um, the transition was very much more tougher for my mom because she went from, like, you know, like, really working her way up and, like, really achieves a lot to having none of it translate uh, in America. So it was very much, like, for her. And then she, like, you know, all my Jamaican side of family, like, my mom's side of family, we still live, she still, they still live down here. I think none of them live in America. Um, So it was just, like, that adjustment of being from, like, what, like, middle class Jamaican to, like, transitioning to like you know middle class well educated Jamaican to translate into like all right like you got like you know what I mean bottom like you know bottom rung type thing to gotta work your way back up type stuff. Right. Um yeah. but I I mean I, to me though I, all my cousins look we look we all lived in the same curve like it was a like a like a it was like what like three four families uh like all my aunts and uncles we live in the same curve not so even that big of a party either. every day. Yeah, so it was late. So to me, like it was like I right, I went from being like the single child at the crib. Now I got mad people to play with. 
to to me it's like it's fun but you didn't you didn't see like the deepest sides of like damn like you kind of like like we really just stayed like change social statuses like instantaneously by just like deciding to move here but yeah i mean it pays off now i mean it was a good gamble on my mom's part that's cool wait so do you do you hide your accent did you hide your accent when you came or like how did that's the thing it's like you don't really think you have an accent um but it was like so like my accents go from like so i have like my white voice like my voice where i use like when i go to like work and then it's kind of like the more and more comfortable i get the more and more i slip up so it's like especially if i get mad like if i get mad i go from like my white voice to my new york voice to my jamaican (laughs) voice that's like the only time somebody will catch me slipping if like they've really just like tweaked like they've really just done something so stupid i'm just like oh the bum but wait we had to wait what my kid i do that and that's when i speak like patois but nah i think it's like you can activate it you feel me? like you just yeah. activate it. when it's time it's time you, you throw it on it's time throw it on switch it on switch it off yeah that's how you tell no i i was um i told you one of my friends from school is jamaican and uh-huh. <laughs> You probably gonna think I'm really stupid for this, but I, I felt stupid afterwards. But he, um, I was talking to him, and then this other kid was walking behind behind me. He looked like a regular white kid, right? And then my friend who I was talking to, he's like, "Hold on," he starts speaking patois, right, to this kid. And I look, and I'm like, "Why? Why am I not understanding what's being said right now?" Mm-hmm. And it took me a second to realize that the white kid he was talking to is from Jamaica, like was Jamaican as well but like in retrospect I'm like oh it makes sense but at the moment I was like I had never considered that they were white Jamaicans like that's just not at the front of my mind but it like threw me for a loop for a second I was like what is happening why am I not understanding but it was pretty cool afterwards it's crazy it's like it's really crazy when you really look at Jamaica because it's like just for example like you look at my family composition uh so my my grandfather, he's half Indian. And then my grandmother on my other side, she's like half Irish. Mm. But then I have my aunt who is half Chinese. Well, these are all people in Jamaica. And then I have a cousin who's half Syrian. I mean, Lebanon. Yeah, Syrian. But yeah. then it's like, in just like the little spot, you got like full like Indian people, you got Chinese people, Koreans, uh, Syrians, Lebanese people. And you just like any like literally when I tell you anybody can be Jamaican, anybody can be Jamaican because like, you got this one part of Jamaica called Germantown, where it's mm-hmm. like a whole bunch of Germans who left Germany during the uh, World War Two. So they mm-hmm. look dead just like Germans. Like they don't like they, there's no black people who live in that town. It's just straight Germans, like blonde hair, blue eyed individuals. And it'd be mad wild because you just be looking at them like, oh, this is a German. Then he starts speaking parts with like like any other Jamaican. Be like. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's cool. Oh, man. Things I wouldn't know. Yeah. True. Uh, but you should visit. You should definitely visit. Uh, I just sent a message to the chat. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I just saw it. <laughs> I just responded. <laughs> All right. Um. Uh, um I mean, this has been a wonderful conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed Oh, yeah. Uh, I appreciate you guys for having me as a guest. Uh, thank yeah. you for coming on. Um, I hope that 
eventually when COVID, like, you know, when we get back, hopefully when we get some semblance of normalcy, that we'll be able to have you in person. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, hey, what, part of, what part of New York are you from? So I'm originally, uh, when I first came to Jamaica, uh, from Jamaica, I moved to Queens, and now okay. I live in Almont. Okay. Um, oh, you know what part you're going to be living in? Um, well, this year we wouldn't be living, like, we'll, we'll be in Brooklyn. Um, this year we weren't not going to be in, like, the team housing and stuff because they're going into a bubble. But, um, yeah, normally in Brooklyn. So I don't know where exactly, but not too far from the Barclays Center, I don't think. Dope. Yeah. Neat, neat. All right. Um, well, thanks again, Jocelyn, Rashid, as always. It's been great doing this with you. Um, everyone, thanks for watching the show. Slightly educated. Episode four is in the books. Episode four. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a wrap. All right. Catch you later. Bye, Bye Jocelyn. Have a good one. You too. Yeah, see ya.